Are we, are we ready to do this? Or are we doing it? I don't know. Well, sure. Alright. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Alright, I guess I will save and exit so I can do the podcast. I would hate to take away from your time like that, but... Might go better if you were paying attention to all the important things that I say. I mean, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want me to look for ghost pigs while we do the podcast? A, a part of me does. <laughs> but we're the, just doing the podcast like normal. Suddenly Jay's like, "Oh, I found a ghost pig." <laughs> Ooh, Google suggests that I search for ghost pig in a blanket. Ooh, that's probably delicious and spooky. This did not come up with the results I expected. I'm searching now. Ghost pig in a blanket. Huh. Halloweenies. Look at that. That's cute. That's pretty great. Yeah. Let's talk about real pigs, guys. Pigs is in games. No, that doesn't... Okay. No, no that's, that's good enough. Let's just get this show on the road. Speaking of pigs in blankets, let's talk about games in blankets. <laughs> well, you tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is the Enemy Slime Podcast, Episode 4. We have Jared. Say hello. That, that's me. We have Jay. Say hello. Hello. My name is Jay Joseph. That was so well, authoritative. Hello. I liked that. And my name is Jason. <laughs> and we have a horrible podcast. As usual. Well, I think it's good so far. <laughs> sure. Definitely. You cut out all the bits that aren't good. Well, yeah. I mean, all that stuff. We'll get that out of there. And we're going to talk about games again. We're going to talk about stuff that we put up recently on the site and some other things. I'm actually, uh, I'm really curious about Outlast. Uh, I know I read the review, but, but well, I read pieces of the review. Um, but I'm very curious. Like, I watched some gameplay footage of that game, and it, it looks uh, it looks like it's not for me, in that it looks kind of scary. You guys like to make me play the spooky games. Well, because so... we, we can't. We, like, we physically can't play them, so... Yeah, I have a I have a similar uh, experience. I think I think Doom Three pretty much turned me off of the whole idea, and that's not even a very scary game. I don't think. I mean, if that's the case, then Outlast would probably land you in the hospital. It's it's a very real possibility. It, yeah, uh, I mean, it's definitely. I think the first hour of it, especially, is one of the most intense horror games I've ever kind of played, and it's really it's really difficult to frighten me. With horror games, unlike you babies, <laughs> I let's see. I mean, I like I like I played the original, you know, Resident Evil back when it was a survival horror. Remember that? I don't think anyone does. Um, <laughs> let's see, Silent Hill. I think Silent Hill Two was the last game to really scare me until kind of the stuff that started coming out recently. Uh, so like Slender and kind of like Outlast, you play as Miles Upshur, who is a plucky journalist that got a hot tip to investigate this corrupt mental asylum. So you go in, lights are on, but nobody's home, and there are a bunch of military trucks outside. You know, you learn to use your little camcorder, which I think is the best aspect of the game. Uh, you have this uh, camera with you that you can bring up at any time, record events. Using your camcorder will write down little notes in your journal that you can look back and see how freaked out Miles is. And then you go around the side entrance, and you jump into a window into this building, Miles is kind of already freaking out, like having heart palpitations, and the sound design is really good, by the way. You can kind of hear his heart beating. Um, you know, I suggest noise cancellation headphones if you're going to play this game. Oh, uh, yeah, because I wasn't yeah. already going to die. <laughs> uh, then you go on and you start investigating, and then here's the real fun part. You, the only way to go, you need to go through this dark little high hallway. You see these uh, patients running around everywhere, you know, but they can't reach you. So you go through this dark hallway, you have to use your camera's night vision. That's the only way to see in the dark. And you see a bunch of corpses everywhere. Uh, let's see, headless mm -hmm. bodies, you know, strung up by their toes, swinging about, uh, severed limbs everywhere. Uh, it's a really kind of family fun experience. Now, now speaking of limbs, uh, I heard this game has kind of a, maybe just like a non-standard amount of penises. A non-standard amount of penises? Because I would say the standard amount of penises in the game is uh, zero. <laughs> if you it count on the penises game. that you can't see, like underpants and stuff. And well, right, right, right. So I guess I should clarify. Um, exposed uh, sea snakes. <laughs> this, this, this might be my fault for not paying that much attention to the nature of the severed body parts. 
but I didn't really see that many penai. Is that the is that like the plural form of it, penai? Uh, I think I think it's I think it's actually like moose. You just say penis. Okay. I didn't see that many penis. I didn't see that many penis. But what I did see was a guy still alive, spiked through the neck, warning me to get the fuck out of there. And by that time, of course, I can't get out. And then you're kind of playing the game, you know. I don't know. It's it's the, the gameplay isn't super original. It's like, you know, if you played on Asia, which I'm just finding out, it's kind of like that. Uh, it's a first person experience, you know, and all you can really do when you start to encounter the bad guys is you can run and hide. Now, I looked at some other reviews uh, after I did my review, and I think people had a lot of mixed reactions to the fear that the game gives you. Some people were kind of shitting their pants straight up into the end. Other people were like, eh, this is getting a little predictable, a little mundane. I'm kind of in the second category. You know, just because the, just because the game repeats itself a lot. You know, it's, there are these hide-and-seek encounters. You can't fight back at all, which I'll get into that in a little bit. And after you start to solve a couple of puzzles, you can start to tell, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to push this switch, and an enemy's going to show up. I'm going to have to run and hide, and then I'm going to have to solve the rest of the puzzle with this guy stalking me. So it gets really predictable, uh, and it kind of loses its flair. I think where the game really shines is kind of in its sound design. And I know the graphics are great, but as you two know, this was a problem for me. I tried to play it on my desktop. I couldn't run it. I had to take it to my laptop, and I yeah. had a much easier time. But, you know, with games out like Amnesia and and Slender and Gone Home, which build a lot of atmosphere without these fantastical graphics, I had to wonder, you know, was it worth it to kind of pack all this into this horror game? You know, some people are saying it added to the experience for them. And I got to say, you know, if you set me up with the right atmosphere, then I'm not really going to care that much. It's actually kind of funny to me that you mentioned that because uh, Gone Home, actually, a lot of people reported was like a pretty gnarly game to run, like it required a a pretty hefty rig and, and relatively oh, really? recent. Yeah, even even though it's pretty simple, uh, I saw a couple of people tweeting at the developer and just mentioning that they were having trouble running the game, that it wasn't wasn't working very well for them. That's another thing. You know, uh, Jared and I are horrified of playing just Amnesia, and that game actually runs really well, and it's not like intense, blown-out, awesome yeah. graphics either. So Yeah, yeah, Amnesia is a lot, is a lot uh, simpler. And then I think the weird thing about Outlast graphics is you know, in terms of textures and just building their environment and dynamic lighting, it's all really beautiful. But then you get to like a prop, a set piece, if you get to like a computer screen. And if you look at the computer screen or if one of the enemies gets really up close, you can see just how little they have going on graphically. And it's kind of a weird disconnect. Like the game at the same time has really great graphics and then really bad graphics and it clashes for me. So one of the things uh, you mentioned before was that the beginning of the game sort of freaked you out a lot. So it almost sounds like they sort of blew their load early and then just the rest of it was kind of copy-paste. Yeah, the rest of it was kind of copy-paste. And I think part of it, like, again, the sound design is terrific. Miles, you know, I think what adds to a lot of that there is Miles will start to panic in the game. Uh, his breath will quicken. You know, he'll whine a little bit if an enemy is kind of nearby. And, you know, and I think initially that fear uh, sets in with you. But then after a while, you're like, you know, Miles, man, you know what's going on. You got to man up. It's not that scary anymore. You know, but then the real the real thing is just kind of like the run and hide sections. And I guess I guess everyone's kind of praising this game on the fact that you can't, you know, fight back. And I, you know, I'm just now getting into Amnesia uh, Machine for Pigs. So I haven't really played an Amnesia game before. So I, I, I played Haunting Ground, which is, you know, kind of a spiritual successor to the uh, Clock Tower series. And, and it has a very similar run and hide mechanic. And their character, you know, that they give you control of, I think her name is Eliza. I don't remember. Um, they give you control of her. She's kind of very weak in front of these monsters that they, they have you facing. So there's like this huge mutant who will hunt her down. And then you have kind of like this robot, uh, that starts chasing her or she's some kind of homunculus, I think is the actual term because I don't want our fans to send us hate mail. She wasn't a, she wasn't a robot. She was a homunculus. So whatever. <laughs> Uh, oh, you down. oh, please, Jay. Haunting Grounds doesn't have fans. That's <laughs> uh, true. So these enemies will hunt you down. Uh, you can't fight back. Like, if she gets caught, uh, she'll fall to the ground. It's kind of like these ragdoll physics. The more she gets hit, uh, the more desperate things kind of are. She can fight, you know, she can kind of kick enemies, which is really not effective, but it might, you know, enough kicks might stun them a little bit. And then she has a dog, Huey. 
and she'll use Huey to jump on her attacker, and the dog will distract them while she gets away and hides. Um, so it's, it's like really interesting. It definitely helps build up the fear. And then you're always, always trying to uh, avoid encounters. At last, it doesn't give you any kind of single way to defend yourself. And, you know, I know this is a video game, but I find it kind of unrealistic that if someone's bashing me in the head with a four by four, that I'm just not going to do anything at all. You know, it'd be nice to kind of shove someone out of the way or something like that. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking for a gun or a baseball bat. I'm just asking for something that's a little realistic and helps me get away. And I think, you know, the difference between Haunting Ground and between Outlast is in Haunting Ground, while you felt like, you know, each hit mattered, that each one was really kind of draining you and getting you away, Outlast has a system that's closer to a first-person shooter where you'll, like, heal damage and regenerate pretty quickly. So you'll take, like, two or three blows and then you can, you know, if you do manage to escape, if you're not in the corner or something, you'll regenerate completely. And then this guy will come back and hit you two, three more blows, huh. get away. You're still fine. You know, it keeps going in that. So, so it kind of sounds like the uh, portal and portal Two damage model where it's like you can run into a laser and then back out and then you're completely fine again. Yeah, exactly. And it, it feels like if, if it didn't use that damage model, then uh, the game would be a lot better off. Like I, I want to see Miles kind of really struggle to kind of like be on the ground and trying to scramble away, you know, rather than, oh, I'll just jump away from you a little bit and I'll be fine. So uh, <laughs> it, it didn't work for me like it seemed to work for a lot of other people. Do you think it would have benefited from kind of having something happen like like in the latest Tomb Raider where it starts out, you know, as scary and she's running from everybody and she can't fight back or do anything? And then now, albeit Tomb Raiders was very sudden, but if the game had maybe just had a slow turn, like towards the end, into kind of more of an action game, where like they gave you, you know, maybe like a gun with a couple bullets or something like that, uh, just just like little things as you go to kind of because if they, as as Jason said, if they blow all their scare loads in the first hour, I mean, it does make sense that once once you know all of the game's tricks, it's hard to keep it up. Do you think it would have been improved if they just changed what kind of game it was as you went or? I think, you see, I, I think you nailed on a really good point. I was actually a huge fan of uh, Laura's storyline in Tomb Raider because I felt like she actually got stronger and was able to kind of face her fears and all that kind of stuff. So um, it didn't feel like she was kind of consistently weak and not learning any lessons. And, you know, I don't know that in Tomb Raider, I guess as you build up your weapons, you get more combat effective. But in Tomb Raider, it kind of feels like, you know, you kind of start out weak and you're never truly that strong it's like more your weapons giving you your powers but by the end of the game it was really rewarding as she started climbing up this mountain uh to defeat the final boss and all this shit was flying at her and she's like fuck it i'm gonna keep going and to kind of go on that journey with her with this new kind of Laura Croft, i thought just as a storytelling mechanic and a gameplay mechanic that was great so i think i think outlast could have definitely benefited from something similar because it's not so one note it doesn't have to become like it doesn't have to become an action game. It can stay a horror game, you know, and you can just do kind of enemy scaling where they get stronger, even though you're getting stronger. But, but basically just something to mix it up, I think. I, I feel like it, it sounds like what you're describing to me is a game that uh, kind of appears before you, pulls all of its tricks out of its bag, and then just kind of repeats itself for a couple yeah. more hours until the end. And uh, to kind of harken back to something I talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, that was something that I really liked about Brothers is Brothers only had, like, you know, just a handful of tricks, but it was also just a three-hour game, and it made it so every level you got to, you got to experience something new. You weren't just, like, doing the same stuff over and over again. You weren't just like, oh, okay, it's this button thing again. I got to push the buttons, you know? In every single level, there was something new to do, yeah. and, and I feel like that variety is kind of rare nowadays. I feel like it's like, all right, we built a good shooter. Now let's have him shoot guys for for four or five hours. Yeah, I think that's exactly the problem here. And the other problem that it runs into, uh, like every survival horror ever, well, not every, Slender didn't do this. I'm sorry I keep referencing that. I'm sure there are people out there that hate Slender, but I thought it did a lot of good things in terms of horror. But a lot of survival horror, the reason they're not scary anymore is because you get uh, too much in terms of items later on. Like, in the beginning, they're really scarce. And in Outlast, it's uh, batteries for your camera. So your camera, in order to use the night vision mode, you're always draining batteries. You always have to find new ones. And it's a little bit of resource management at the beginning of the game. You know, it's like, do I really want to try and traverse this dark area or should I risk draining my batteries? And it goes on like that. But then you start to find like an abundance of batteries. And it's like, okay, well, I never have to be afraid of the dark again. You know, so I think, 
I guess to name another horror game where they were really good with their uh, item management was Silent Hill The Room. Because Silent Hill The Room did what was so great, it kind of did the opposite. It gave you all the items up front, and if you got to the second half of the game and you had already burned through all your items, you weren't finding new ones, and you were like, man, I'm pretty fucked here. So, I don't know. There, there's some things. It feels like Outlast starts out as a genuinely scary game, and there were people out there who remained scared the whole way through. Um, if you're kind of used to the horror genre in general, then it's probably not going to maintain that for you, especially if you played other run-and-hide games. But it feels like there were like just a few mistakes they made that if they did a sequel, uh, hopefully they could fix it and just make a really strong game. I know you haven't played Amnesia for very long, but in the first Amnesia, one pattern I picked up on pretty quick was that every time you encounter like a new, like I guess a new threat or a new monster or whatever, it's kind of like a a sort of linear, self-contained puzzle in a way. So uh, there's an entire section where you're being like chased by this invisible monster and you can only see him because you can see his footsteps splashing in like the, the water in front of you and everything. But after you kind of figure out how to get around him and hide from him, that's it. You kind of move on to the next section. It sounds like, I don't know if I'm right about this, but it sounds like an Outlast, what you're describing is more like, just kind of like they're peppering monsters around and you're just trying to hide from them instead of making each one like its own special section. Yeah, see, that's the other thing about it. And it's the same thing I said about Haunting Ground, where, you know, each of the monsters was very different and learning to deal with them. Yeah, Outlast, it's basically... Uh, the same monster, uh, you have this, you have the inmates, and then you have like this big bulky guy who occasionally shows up to scare you but doesn't really do anything. And then they start to change a little later on, but it's really pretty generic. And, um, you know, some, something, and something that was a little weird to me is, you know, they made these references to all their female patients in the game. You know, you would pick up a document and it'd be like, okay, these two female patients, et cetera. There's a whole women's ward, but it's always kind of the same male character model that's chasing you. So they didn't even kind of mix it up like that. They're, you sa- know. they're saving the ladies for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. DLC. Sa- saving the ladies for bashing you, your head in in the that's sequel. Ex- that's exactly it. It's a DLC. <laughs> it's Outlast Ladies Ward. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, what you're saying is true. It's basically every monster is kind of the same. It's always kind of a run and hide. So, so let me ask you this about the game. Um, just based off kind of what you're saying, if it was half the length and half the price, do you think it would be substantially improved by having that happen? Yeah, I think it might be. I think, I think they still have some weird hiccups here and there, but, um, you know, I do think it might have been benefited if it were just shorter and kept that intensity, but, um, you know, it's like I said, it's like, I mean, and I've been seeing a lot of games, like, as much as I like Tomb Raider, it felt the same way. It needs a sequel to kind of really nail it. So I definitely want to see more from this team. And, you know, if you told me there was an Outlast 2 coming, I might do a little bit of research, but I would probably, you know, jump into it, so. Hmm. All right, I don't know what Jared's been playing, though. I actually, I was going to request, it feels like this is the order we go in every time, is is Jay Jared Jason. I was right. going to... I was gonna wonder if you could, uh, if you could unleash your your love. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard you just gushing all week about Mirror Moon, just <laughs> just like your panties are overflowing with with Mirror Moon juice, and I'd like to hear some more about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I Jay always starts first, and I felt like since he was already starting first, I thought we were just kind of going with that flow again. But now, yeah, fuck I it. Can, let's make I it can weird. Go, yeah, let's make it screwy halfway through. Let's throw the people off. You can read my review of Mirror Moon EP on EnemySlime.com, and it's a really good review, I think. And he has to say EnemySlime.com just in case you found this on Kazaa. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we've been over this a thousand times already. This is going to be all over Kazaa very <laughs> soon, and the only way that you're going to know where it came from is if I say EnemySlime.com. EnemySlime.com. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I... So, uh, Jared got me an, uh, Mirror Moon to review, and... Um, I re- sort of regret accepting it and keeping it. I should have given it to Jay, but, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> here's the thing. And I have to start with this is, you know, you're going to get into strange territory when you look at who the developer of the game is and it's not a company name. It's like a guy's name. Oh, okay. All right. It's, you know what I'm saying? So like when you, when you go to the mirror moon uh, page on steam, it says, um, it doesn't say like a developer company. It says like Santa Ragione or whatever his name is. And you're like, uh, it's going to be one of these, like <laughs> where the guy just wants to be like, 
it's like a fashion designer, you know? They don't have company names, it's just their name. But anyways, so you start out Mirror Moon, and I didn't really mention this in the review, I don't know if it matters, uh, but before you start your game, it asks you a question. It says, do you want to play the game in the sort of synchronized multiplayer mode where the planets have been named by other people? Or do you want to start the game on like a random seed where it just creates a new thing locally just for you? And it says, it actually recommends that you don't create a local one. It recommends that you play the one that's, you know, linked with everybody else. Right. Um, so yes. I, I assume my experience was going to be improved uh, greatly by doing this. <laughs> Uh, I never tried doing the offline single player. I mean, it's, it's offline anyways. The game is offline. <laughs> what I think it does is it gathers uh, a list of planet names from some sort of central server and just distributes them to people. But you start the game and uh, you're in front of like a um, a really weird looking cockpit, except you're not actually inside any like space vessel. It's just like a dashboard floating in space. And there's all these red buttons, and uh, once you start, you know, fiddling with all the red buttons, eventually the whole display, like, starts lighting up, and, you know, there's, like, 20 different buttons, and you have to flip them all to get the whole thing revved up and going. And uh, you've got this floppy disk-looking thing in front of you, and, like, a a weird floppy disk player, if that makes sense. It looks like a Walkman, basically, except it has, like, a slot for a floppy disk. Can I I just say that this was worth... The eight ninety nine just <laughs> just to listen to you struggle to explain it. Yeah, <laughs> I, so, feel, I feel like I mailed you a Jackson Pollock painting, and you're like, "Well, there's, there's a bunch of color," and that's almost exactly how I'm going to describe it. Anyways, it's it's a lot of color. So you put here's the thing. Okay, so you hit like this launch button. It inserts the the uh, disc which, as we've already established in the review, it has like a side A and a side B to it. If you put it in inside A, you go to this red planet that has all these little ghost buildings that I also described in the review, and they just look like, you know, sort of geometric structures, except you can walk through them, uh, and you can't do anything with them, except sometimes they have uh, these little shapes inside of them that you can touch. (laughs) I sound like a a retard right now, but... (laughs) So you pick up these little shapes from inside the buildings and they attach onto your gun thing. Uh it's more like it's more like a tool than a gun, but they attach onto it and they give you different capabilities. Is is that accurate though cuz a, a tool usually achieves some kind of purpose like <laughs> uh yeah. Like a, a hammer can hammer a nail. Ooh, yeah. What can your tool do? I mean not your tool but like the tool in the game. I'll tell you exactly what the tool can do. Okay. So in the distance, when you first get on a planet, there is a moon orbiting the planet. And the moon is a carbon copy of the planet that you're on. So if you're looking at that moon, you can see, it, and it's smaller, so it's easier to see the entire thing, whereas you obviously can't see the entire planet that you're on. So you look at the moon in the distance and you see, like, at least the side that's facing towards you, you can see maybe there's like a building in one spot and then there's a building further down somewhere else. And it sort of just helps you get your bearings of where you are. There's like a, a, a pyramid shaped piece that you can get for your little tool majig. And when you put that on, you actually become able to spin that moon around so you can actually see every side of it, which helps you further to navigate the planets that you're on. Uh, you eventually can upgrade it to the point where you can not only spin the moon, but you can also move it with you as you walk. Because normally, if you just walk around, uh, you're leaving the moon behind. So you might walk to the other side of the planet, and then you can't see the moon map anymore. Okay. So so it's useful to be able to sort of like grab it and pull it with you as you're walking around the planet. That way you can, you'll never lose the map, basically. I, I, and, have, to, I have to know, Jay, was that, was that, oh, okay, was that genuine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was it was genuine. It was genuine. It was just it's it's really weird to me that it that mini moon or that mirror moon is supposed to help you navigate that it wouldn't just move with you anyway. That you need a tool for it. Well, yeah, you gotta, I mean, you gotta have some game there. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, what else? Let's see. So you uh, uh, you can eventually spin the moon. You can move it with you. Uh, there's one piece that I didn't really get find anywhere else, but. It lets you actually shoot at the moon, 
and wherever your shot lands, it like creates a pillar of light on the moon and also on the corresponding spot on the planet that you're on. So you can actually like shoot a line of those pillars at the moon and like sort of draw a line on the planet you're on. So it makes it super easy to find what you're looking for. Of course, you won't be really looking for anything because there's nothing to find. But the point is, you walk around the whole planet, you collect all these pieces so that you can spin the moon around and move it, and uh, then you're pretty much done. So, <laughs> like, like you're done. Like, you, like you get to see the ending. Um, I don't know <laughs> if there is an ending. You, so, you're you're done in the sense that you, you then walk around the planet for like ten more minutes, and everything that you can possibly interact with has already been interacted with. And sometimes there are even like little buildings that you can walk through, and like they light up, but it doesn't do anything. Even if you walk through all of the buildings, and they're all lit up. Have, have you um? Have you Googled this at all, like, just to make sure that you didn't get, like, frog fractioned or anything? <laughs> uh, you, you guys remember frog fractions? Yes, of course. Uh, yes. You can't forget frog fractions. But, uh... Because I, I, I know a few people who started that up and are like, fuck this, and close it out and, and never know. Well, here's the thing. In order to say fuck this with frog fractions, you have to have stopped playing it after a very short amount of time. And with, um... With Mirror Moon, I played it for at least three hours. Okay, I went to 20 different planets at least, and I did this same thing over and over. So just to kind of move us into that territory, once you're done with the that red planet you're on, I don't know what its purpose is. Uh, when you light up all the buildings on it, the buildings have names on the, on the moon map, um, and that's about it. And then you just leave because there's nothing else to do. So then you start traveling the galaxy, which is sort of easy, just... Uh, navigate around the star map on your on your ship, and then you uh, pull this little lever and you fly to it. Uh, sometimes it takes like five minutes to travel to planet, during which time you're just basically sitting there staring at it, which is kind of annoying. I remember how, I remember how fun that was in Final Fantasy XI. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun to just sit there and stare at the game and just for five minutes with like a five-minute timer just counting down while you look at a progress bar. So once you go to a secondary planet, in order to visit another planet that's not that sort of main red hub planet, I guess, you have to be on side B of the of the disc. <sighs> Sounds retarded. Um, <laughs> so you flip it over to side B if you want to go anywhere except for the red planet. So I, I went to several different planets, and here's what I noted in all of them. They're all generally the same size planet. Um, the only thing that's different is the sky and the planet itself can be different colors. There are various weird effects on different planets. So some planets have like this weird, long, wispy, ghost-like grass on it. And some have like these, uh, you know, these big extravagant, like polygon showers raining down everywhere but they all have one thing in common which is that they all have i'd say anywhere from two to five of these ghost buildings and the vast majority of the time there's nothing in them and they can't be interacted with so a lot of the times i'll go on to these other planets and i might even find only just one uh one tool piece that i can even pick up so i can barely even interact with the map as it is and so I'm walking around blind on this planet, which, I mean, you have to understand these planets aren't very big. They're like, <clears throat> you can walk around an entire planet in about, I'd say, 30 seconds. So there's not, it's not like I'm missing something. It's not like this is a huge right. world to explore and I'm just not, I'm not looking hard enough. Everything that there is to see on the planets is marked on the moon. So sometimes, if I'm lucky, I guess, I find this little circle... <laughs> And when I touch the circle, the screen goes all bright white. And it's like, oh, I did something. And then it shoots me back to my ship. And I'm like, something must have happened, right? <laughs> I picked up a circle and it went whoosh and I'm on my ship. That's like the most different thing that's ever happened in this game so far. <laughs> but nothing really changes as far as I can tell. And I picked up like eight of those. And I don't know how you're supposed to find them, if you're even supposed to look for them, because uh, there's no indication that they're going to be on the planets that you land on, and there's no there's no number or readout that's like saying, "Hey, this is how many this is how many white balls you've collected." I've I've, I've crafted so, a theory here, and I I think that this uh, I think this will hold up. I bet you, I'll bet you anything. I love just thinking about this. Just thinking about it makes me happy. 
I'll bet you that this game is really an MMO, like an honest-to-God MMO, and it's super popular with, like, the people of the Czech Republic, like, like <laughs> nine hours, like, nine hours ahead of you. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you logged in off of peak hours when no one was there, and I'll bet you just went around and you fucked up all their shit. I'll bet you went over, like, all their planets, and you, and you picked up, you looted all of their glowy circles, and you moved all their moons, and I'll bet they all logged in later that day, and they're like, well, who the fuck did this? Like, George, did you move my glowing circle? And he's like, no. And it's like, well, it's not here. <laughs> yeah, I'm the dick who took everybody's white circles. I, 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 <laughs> are you sure you had it there? Yes, I left it here yesterday. God damn it! It's probably like Eve too, where it's worth like ten thousand dollars. Wasn't this? Wasn't this thing? <laughs> wasn't this thing built as built as an MMO though? That you're supposed to be playing it with other people and well, maybe it says it's like, on like Journey. It says on the Steam store multiplayer, co-op, and it's neither of those things, as far as I can tell, because you certainly don't cooperate with anybody. I didn't meet anybody. I didn't see anybody talking to me. I wish I had somebody talking to me while I was playing. And I certainly wasn't playing with other people, nor did I even have the illusion I was playing with other people. Because it says you can name planets that have been undiscovered. I never got to name any planets I went to. And the ones that looked like they might have been named by players had suspiciously tame names for a game. Cause I was, was going to say, was there like Harry Sack? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. I didn't run into a single planet named Penis, and I don't buy it. So, because the planet's going to have, I think it's up to five characters for a planet name or something like that. Well, There's, listen, I, I think this is the thing, because I'm looking up at, uh, yes. you know, the scores for both Mirror Moon and At Last. And both of these games have kind of ridiculously high scores. So I'm thinking what's happening here is you and I are basically just cynical plebeians. And right, we don't we're know. not buying it. We're, we're, no, no, I think, I, think, I think we're just, you know, I think we don't appreciate high art. You're, you're <laughs> crotchety old men <laughs> who, would, who would look at a Jackson Pollock painting and be like, yeah, I don't get it. And then just throw it in the garbage. You know what's, exactly. <laughs> you know what's sad about Mirror Moon, though? It's a really nice looking game. It's really simple and I guess it's like even the look of it maybe isn't for everybody. And perhaps in uh when it's stationary it doesn't look that great, but when you're playing it, it kind of has a nice charm about it because uh you know, it's very polygonal and yet some things are smoothed and then you'll see like these little ruffles of like hard-edged polygons and it just looks kind of nice and pleasant and the uh the audio sets up a nice atmosphere where it feels kind of eerie and you feel very lonely out in space. Or uh, if you're like a big sissy like me, uh, I kept being, I was irrationally afraid for some reason that like I was going to be staring out into the deep space and like this enormous like blue lobster that's like 600 million tons was going to come flying out of the darkness and eat me or something. Uh, But that never happened. I would have liked if that happened, but it didn't. In fact, nothing happened. How fucking sweet would this be, Kay? Follow me here. (laughs) All right. Outlast combined with mirror moon so you're running away from like psychopaths but it's on a planet and like you you have to hurry up you you know how you have to like hurry up and like jerry rig a door to get it open or something to get away from people maybe instead of that you have to like hurry up and switch a floppy disk out to to like get away from them what do you think wasn't this basically dead space yeah it's like dead space the floppy disk part shut up and take my money you know the part is right after you insert the needle in your eyeball, you gotta yeah. you gotta fuck around <laughs> those floppy disks. And it's hard because you can't see screen. good. Nothing's happening, so I, well, I mean, um, I'm watching I'm watching a video of Mirror Moon now, and I'm very confused as to what's going on. I can't imagine they're doing anything differently from what I was doing, which is walking circles around the planet and walking through buildings and then leaving. I can't imagine there would be more to the game than that, unless I'm seriously like mentally crippled. But they they seem to really love this game. They just it's just a video. I just don't understand it. I was like, say, oh, this is the greatest game I've ever played, and I feel we need like more games should, like this. I feel like we should read a review for it. That's that's like top notch. And there's see. there's only look. This is the thing I'm finding about all the reviews of Mirror Moon. I don't think the people that really love this game understand it either because they're using a lot of language that kind of skirts around what it actually is. Right. Uh, so we have one from Panquake on Metacritic, uh, the only 
user review here. The only, the only review, really. Uh, this game is available on all major computer platforms and provides a unique problem-solving experience that had me at the edge of my seat and scratching my head at the difficulty, but I wasn't scratching for too long. The game is easy to pick up on, although it has minimal in-game descriptions. Uh, this gives the game a very satisfying feeling when you figure something out. I'm a couple hours in, and I can say for sure, from the moment you open it to the time you take a break, the game is stunning and very well executed. My only fault with the game is its visual simplicity. Now, up until that moment, he hasn't described a single thing. So, you know, he's only been talking about how great it is, but he hasn't gone into any details. He hasn't well, talked about- I'm really curious about what it is that person said that he found out because I didn't find out anything unless <laughs> unless what he unless what he means to be finding stuff out being like, oh, that you can that you can interface with the spaceship and do things with it and flip switches like that's the only thing I really found out that didn't explain to me expressly. But see, that's what I'm saying, though. He doesn't go into any of those details because I don't think he knows either. But he rated this game a nine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it feels it feels like, you know, when when, you know, modern art, um, when it started getting really popular and everyone's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah. And, you know, no one understood what the fuck was happening with it. No one understood why they liked it. It's just everyone felt like they had to like it because everyone else liked it and because it was abstract and new and different. And this strikes me as the same thing. So let me get this off my chest then, because this is very similar and this happened a very long time ago. And when I think back on it, it still makes me mad. Did either of you uh, hear of a game called The Path? I uh, can't say I have. Yeah, no. Okay, it was on it came out on Steam several years ago and the basis behind it was that you were a little girl walking to your grandmother's house. And the whole game took place on this fairly short path uh from your starting point all the way to the I guess the forest that would lead to your grandmother's house. If you walked all the way down the path and to the end, you would essentially complete the game. So in like 20 seconds, you would have completed the game. But it tells you that you basically lost if you do that, but it doesn't tell you why you lost. So what you sort of eventually learn is that early on in the game, you get this sort of prompt, I believe. I don't remember. It's very fuzzy, but it tells you not to stray off the path. Now, I'm not one to always listen to the directions of games, so I'm not like, I'm not a square when it comes to that. I just thought, okay, whatever, I'll follow the path. I'll, I'll just do it. I'll go along with it. But I got punished for it, and so I'm like, okay, fine, I, I get it. You're telling me that I should stay on the path, so what you really mean is I should explore instead. I should rebel against what the game's instructing me to do. That's the whole shtick. So I'm walking around in this forest off the beaten path as this little girl, and I'm picking up flowers. So two hours later, I've picked up 90 flowers, and nothing has happened. <laughs> absolutely not a damn thing has happened. Can I tell you? Yeah, go. sorry. Well, I mean, I'll try to wrap up the story quick, but basically (laughs) I went on the forums and I am just, I am livid. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to hide it as best I can, though. But I'm like, could somebody please explain to me what the point of this game is? (laughs) I like the idea of maybe having like a a sort of uh, Little Red Riding Hood adventure and stuff like that. I'm I'm collecting these flowers, but then flowers aren't doing anything and nothing I interact with can do anything. And then the developer replies to me, and I'll never forget this because he was so far up his own ass. He says, you have to pretend that you're a little girl. You have to do what a little girl would do. <laughs> just just like I do every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure there are tons of little girls that if you told them to follow the path and go to your grandmother's house, they would follow the path and go to their grandmother's house. Right. That's the kind of little girl I am. Well, they they have to be that kind of little girl in today's world, because otherwise they're going to be in a van fucking, you know, an hour away from getting dumped into a river somewhere. Right. That's that got dark. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so, so if you I, if you follow all the if you apparently there's like a thing where it, it does roll over eventually and eventually you stop gathering flowers. But that's like I think after you get like a hundred flowers and I was already picking them for like two hours and I didn't get near there yet. But apparently after you stop picking flowers, you then have to go on another thing because I read up about it and you have to grab some other items and then interact with a swing set or something. It's just really weird and it's it's way too linear, even though it feels like it shouldn't be. And I feel like Mirror Moon might be the same thing. So 
In other words, I was doing the same thing over and over. Like, I only visited 20 planets. Maybe I was supposed to visit 100 planets before something finally happened. But I'll never know because I'm not going to do it that long. And I didn't look it up because I feel like if I should have to look it up at that point, it's there's no there's no point anymore. So I'm reading Polygon's review. I don't know if it's a review or a preview, but they kind of they they kind of do the same thing where they they sort of cock teased it a little bit. Like so, he, it says the game begins on an empty planet, or at least it appears empty. Ooh. Players are armed with what looks like a gun out of portal. Using the WASD keys, players can move in any direction they wish and will eventually begin stumbling upon glowing neon blue structures with walls that you can pass through. Some of these structures have items in them. You'll want to grab them as their attachments for your gun. Turning your eyes skyward will reveal the second moon of the game's two-moon scenario, an equally dark planet blocking out the light of a burning sun with several glowing blue structures scattered about its surface. Every and this is where this is where they kind of cop out a little bit. Everything yeah. else beyond that is a spoiler. As the entire <laughs> as, spoiler alert, as nothing the, happens. Well, yeah. So as the entire point of the game is to discover what works by first figuring out what works for you. So it sounds like oh, you missed out on yeah. some introspection here. So it looks like nothing works for me. That's the lesson I come away with: is that I'll never be satisfied. <laughs> Creating game space for players' interactions with the moon was the easiest part, Riva said, but creating a system that would teach players how to play without providing direct instructions proved to be a challenge. Obviously, for you at least, a very large challenge. Oh, yes. By the way, it is it, Santa, whatever they are, um, that, that is actually two developers, not one, uh, it turns out. Interesting. So before we go on to the next thing, I did just want to mention, um, what is it? Shit. No, I just forgot. I'm, it probably wasn't very important. It's, it could have been. Is it Mirror Moon related? Uh, it was. <laughs> I think we've probably given <laughs> given it enough time, right? Maybe. Well, I mean, it it gave me nothing. I gave it so much, and it gave me nothing. I was going to say you've given it hours and hours of your time, and I was even going to play it again just to like just to like really double down and be like. I really fucking tried, and then when I stopped trying, I tried and tried twice more. Well, <laughs> it doesn't I mean, matter. Here's the thing. Here, here we are. We're kind of sitting, you know, here disappointed in Outlast, and, you know, you didn't like Mirror Moon, and you didn't like the past, so we're kind of, like, shooting ourselves in the foot here, and oh, we're oh, just saying, you know, I, I just have to, go away I have to say enemy it. slime. Yes. I, I remember what I was going to say now. The... <laughs> So it's, so it's Mirror Moon EP, meaning it's extended mm. play, so at some point... The game was less than it is now uh, because the EP, it explains on the store page, uh, they added extra content to the game. I'd love to know what that content was. I wonder I wonder perhaps if that's because too many people had named planets and so they had to add more planets. That would be, <laughs> I mean, right? Doesn't that make sense? Maybe? Sure, I guess. Anything makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, but listen, can I read you the first quarter of a sentence for the path entry in Wikipedia? You sure. Do it. it. It says the path is a 2009 psycho- psychological horror arts game, and then you follow the art game entry in Wikipedia. It says an art game or art house game, or less commonly, auteur game, is a work of interactive new media digital software art, as well as a member of the art game subgenre of the serious video game. The term art game was first used academically in 2002, and it has come to be understood as describing a video game designed to emphasize art or whose structure is intended to produce some kind of reaction in its audience art games are interactive <laughs> does, uh, it, does it provide does it provide examples of art games uh let's see got a reaction are there any examples notable notable art games let's see rise of the art game rise of the indie art game like um, like, uh, like black ops 2 <laughs> So beginning in the early to mid-2000s with games such as Samorost 2003 and The Endless Forest 2005, a strong overlap developed between art games and indie games. This meeting of the art game movement and the indie game movement brought art games to the attention of the video game culture at large. And this is a lot of bullshit. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. I think what Uh, we can take away from this is let's be nice and say art games are a genre, and then I'll just say I don't like art games then. Well, I mean, this is this is kind of my problem with it, because Mirror Moon EP is kind of, you know, getting a lot of praise, and Outlast is getting a lot of praise. And I feel like, you know, my issue with both of these things is people are more praising it just because they're giving us something new and different, and not necessarily because they've earned it. 
you know, and I like seeing new things. I like seeing fresh and innovative things. But, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, just get down on your knees and start to play these furiously just because you haven't seen it before. It's you have to kind of take the good and the bad and you kind of have to consider, you know, okay, what's it going to do to push the genre forward and what could have been done better? You know, let's not just praise it as good just because it's did one thing that we haven't seen before. And it's not like I wanted it to hold my hand or anything and act like, you know, your typical whatever 2013 game. I just, I would like it to have been game-ish in the sense that, I mean, here's what a game boils down to for me. A pleasurable feedback machine, if Cookie Clicker can teach us anything, <laughs> is that a game is nothing more, or it has to be nothing more than a pleasurable feedback machine. And I get no pleasurable feedback out of the path or Mirror Moon. So it fails right. in that sense. And again, Cookie Clicker. Uh, for people that are interested, that website is <laughs> oh my god, or backslash cookie clicker. All right, that's o r t e i l dot dot org backslash cookie clicker. So, Jared, what did you want to talk about? <laughs> well, shit. I actually had two things I thought I'd talk about, and I guess I'll keep one of them kind of brief because we're probably going to run a little long. But yeah. Um, I, I may as well talk about Rayman Legends because uh, we've we've been so incredibly negative up <clears throat> until this point. Yes, I'm very um, interested. In hate, hating on those indie titles that I feel like it's time to give some some AAA developer some love. <laughs> sure. You know, the underappreciated kind of underdog, I think. It sure uh, feels that way after this podcast. When does Ubisoft get their turn? We're always... I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, let's let's slow down a little bit. I love me some indies. I love Skull Girls, and I love Cookie Clicker. We just don't like art games. <laughs> I Outlast is not a fucking art game. There's 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 <laughs> asylum prisoners running around with their dicks flapping around, and I guess you're too straight to notice. But not, they're, not, they're running around with mention. their wieners out, and they're chasing you down. That ain't art. We should we should also mention that uh you know the people that made Outlast are veterans of uh, Electronic Arts and Ubisoft. True. <laughs> So I get, I mean, so for any who say that the rich white man never gets a fair shake, let it be known that Outlast was also a rich white man. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how often you see that uh, nowadays where like a big AAA developer will break up and form an indie studio. Um, I don't know. Just interesting point. Uh, either way, <clears throat> let's talk Rayman Legends because uh, this shit is good. It, it's uh, I, I bought it on the Wii U. Uh, you could purchase it on the, uh, oh god, the Xbox, the PlayStation. I don't think it's on the 3DS, which is kind of curious because it makes pretty extensive use of touch controls if you have them available. Uh, it's also on the Vita, so you can play it on the Vita as well. The Wii U is almost certainly the one that you want to buy it on if you are the person who has a Wii U. And I say that, A, because you probably need something to play if you have a Wii U. Uh, right. And then B, because that's definitely the system that the game was intended for. Like, I know that they made the port work and they got it onto the other systems, but you can tell when you play it. I watched some PC gameplay footage, and you, you can tell as they go through it that it's not, like, working as intended. I mean, it is, but not not the same. So I guess I'll I'll talk about that new hook. Did you, did you guys play Origins, either of you two? Rayman Origins? No. Yeah. No? Nothing for you, Jay? Well, fuck both of you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's it's pretty good, too, actually. So if you didn't play it, you could probably go find it for uh, like five bucks or something on Steam, I bet. But it, the, the engine and everything is pretty much exactly the same. All the graphics are hand-drawn. Uh, it is just a, a fantastic-looking game. And because of the style that they've put it in, uh, it's kind of like Wind Waker, where it's going to be able to age for like you know, 20 years and it's still going to look great. Like it's always just going to look like really fantastic. Yeah. But either way, Origins is, uh, so I guess since neither of you are completely in the know, it's a side scroller, just like classic Rayman from the old like PSX, Sega Saturn era. And you pretty much just navigate the levels and, and try to get to the end. Rayman kind of has a, a hook that's a little different from Mario, where, whereas in a Mario game, you're just trying to get to the finish line pretty much. I actually shouldn't say this because in the new Mario games, they've kind of changed it a little bit. Um, you know how you have to collect coins and you can't unlock the later levels until you have enough coins <laughs> to get to them? Right. Uh, well, this is kind of the same way. So in Origins, you rescued... Oh, shit. What are they called? I'm going to get in trouble. You rescue something. They're lums? Lim, llamas? Sounds lum, like, lum sounds right. Lums? It's probably lums. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, you rescue these these objects and uh, and they grant you access to the levels. 
uh, in Legends, you're collecting Teensies, which are the little big-nosed uh, creatures uh, that, that litter the world in, in the game. And it's the same concept, whereas you collect more of them throughout the levels, you'll unlock other ones. Uh, you've got a giant overworld that you can navigate. The overworld is in the form of kind of an art house gallery. So there will be a bunch of paintings that are just kind of stood up on on stands. And if you want to go to a certain world, for example, you jump into that painting. And then when you want to go to a certain level, you jump into that painting and just kind of repeat. So it's pretty standard stuff as far as a, a side-scroller goes. Uh, it does have a little bit more wiggle room than like a traditional Mario game does now in that you can kind of do the levels in the order that you want. Not completely, but for the most part, as long as you do pretty well as you play, you'll always have enough to skip like two or three levels ahead if you want. Um, I've unlocked probably... Uh, a little over half of the worlds, and I haven't. I'm nowhere near beating the game, so you you get a lot of that stuff pretty quickly. the The big hook for the uh, for Legends is the Wii U controls. Uh, basically, there are parts of the game where you'll be tasked with controlling. How um, oh, fuck I'm bad at this. What is his name? Um, <laughs> Frumpy, Frobby, Froby. Sure Hold on. Froby. I really want to. Frobby. It's probably Frobby. Fabio. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Frobby. Hang on. This is really going <laughs> to... Not Eastman, you fuck. I mean, look, we're just kind of fucking everything up. We don't like Mirror Moon. I got the name of the homunculus wrong, so this is just the hate mail episode. Hang on. I'm going to find out his name. I'm going to see. Frumpy, 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 Gameplay. Here we go. This will tell me. Globox, Teensies. It was just tell me Murphy. Oh, God. <laughs> Murphy? That's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Murphy. I don't think I ever would have gotten that. Either way, you you basically, when you'll get to these levels, it's probably, I would say, it's actually pretty common. I would say maybe every two levels, you'll control Murphy. And the way that you do that is you take the touch screen, basically. And if you want him to move a platform, for example, you can move the platform around. Uh, if you want him to cut a rope so that a, a wall of spikes falls out of everybody's way, you can do something like that. Um, if you if you tap on enemies, you'll tickle them so that your uh, your partners can go in and basically slap the shit out of them. Um, <laughs> if you're playing solo, then what happens is you control Murphy on the touchscreen and you get an AI partner who is pretty good. He's killed himself on accident a couple times for me, but for the most part, he's pretty solid. If you're very fortunate, and particularly if you're playing on the Wii U, you can actually have five people playing total. Uh, one person on the touch screen and then four people running around as characters uh, on on the overworld. And it kind of leads to that. I don't know if you guys ever played like couch co-op for like new Super Mario or anything like that. But yeah, it leads to that same kind of adversarial relationship where you can put off the platform to like help certain people, but not other people. And uh, there's there's kind of a little bit of opportunity for trolling. And it's uh, it's well, really my just favorite a, part of New Super Mario Brothers. It's it's a in all seriousness, it's a great game to play with a group of people. Like if you if you have just a party and have five or six people over, you'll have a really fucking killer time with that game. And that's actually how I beat Origins too. Was I just had a big old group of people over? Uh, we just all got Xbox controllers and just ran through the game pretty much all in one night. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was really good. So the touchscreen stuff is is pretty good. It's probably like I said, I would guess that. By the end of the game, it's probably maybe 40% of it. And so the fact that they have taken that and put it on the Xbox and just gotten rid of that aspect is, is a little disappointing. Uh, what they've basically done is if you get to a part that has touchscreen, uh, what you do is you press Y and it will just automatically do whatever the touchscreen control would have done. So it'll just move the platform over for you. Or, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. And, and there's still a little bit of gameplay to be had there because you have to time pressing Y and things like that. But definitely it's just... Kills the fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not the same. I would say if you only have an Xbox or a PlayStation or, or PC, I would still say it's it's a really cool game and it's definitely worth picking up. But if you've got a Wii U or, or uh, maybe less preferable, but if you've got a Vita, you can pick that up as well. I played New Super Mario Brothers with my best friend once, and we were up until like three in the morning, just like cursing at each other. But I mean, we we're having a blast, of course. And because uh, the main reason was when you jump up underneath somebody, you collide with them, so you completely <laughs> screw up their jump, and no. they just start falling. Can you do something like that? Or no, this game, this game alleviates that problem. At least I'm, yeah. I'm fairly certain it does. I haven't uh I haven't played too much Legends co-op yet, but if I'm recalling everything correctly, yes, that is uh that is how it works. 
I've just played a little bit with Rachel so far. Uh, so I've, I, I've, that's just been touch screen in her. We'll probably get some people together maybe over the weekend and try a big old, you know, mess and see how it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, I lost a lot of friends over that kind of gameplay. Yeah. It's, it definitely kind of creates that relationship. I'll, I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, I'm probably going to give this game a five on the review. Like, it is just, Ooh. it's super solid. There's, I really have nothing to complain about. Like, it doesn't have a great story, but you don't play a Rayman game for the story. Who cares? In, unless I, like, dig a little deeper and find, like, some hidden neo-Nazi kind of messages or something. Like, this Which is definitely, might. yeah, I might. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but, but something like that is really the only thing that's going to derail it at this point. I think probably my favorite thing that they've added in Legends is they've added in some uh, musical levels. And basically, it's a it's a runner level where you have the, the screen following you. And if you if you let the screen hit you, you die. Uh, mm-hmm. So it always keeps you moving really quickly. But what they've done is every t- they've they've put a song that plays over the level and every time there's a beat in the song, it usually corresponds to something that you're doing on the screen. So there'll be like a drum beat and it'll match the jumps that you're being asked to do. And there's something really, really satisfying about not even really being able to see what's ahead of you, but just knowing based off the music, just hitting a jump that you probably wouldn't have found if you weren't expecting it based off the musical cue. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, a little that's bit of cool, Bit Trip Runner, sort of. Yeah, actually, it's it's a lot like Bit Trip Runner. Um, obviously more polished and uh fun it's it's different um but they're definitely the best levels in the game uh unfortunately you have to play the entire world to unlock each one and there's only one per per world but man they are totally worth it like it's a really fun time i i wish i i don't think i'm doing it justice by describing it i think it's just something that you kind of have to play to really get the idea it looks really nice so oh it's a fantastic looking game like it's just beautiful i mean five out of five that's our ray of sunshine for this podcast <laughs> I, so I, think, I, I, I think i, I will. yeah i mean this is like kind of the most glowing review of you anything since um well, since cookie clicker but since saints row 4 really <laughs> um it's see we didn't get to talk about movies this podcast and we're kind of running out of time but before we do <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake! I didn't even get to—I didn't even get to tell you about all the, the all the negative things I have to say. Not about Rayman, but oh, oh, really? I do it. Well, did I tell you? I told you guys I beat the bureau, right? Mm. Can I can I ruin it for you, please? I really I played it and I am flabbergasted by the ending, and I just feel like I need to share it with someone. Sure, go ahead. You'll let me do that. Will you let just, me do that, Jay? Before we talk yeah. about whatever inane movie bullshit you got. We'll make it through, though. Go for it. it. All right, all right. So here's the deal. So your your flash flashback to when we played this game. Uh, you're William Carter, rugged detective, fighting aliens, and you you get to the end of the game. By the way, I'm totally gonna ruin this in every way possible. So if you're considering playing this, stop listening now. You get to the end of the game, and you find out that all the decisions that you've made. And ironically, most of the good decisions that you've made, like being a good person and like wanting to save the world, most of those were not William Carter making the decisions. It was actually an alien who invaded his body, uh, which is completely given away in the opening cutscene. Like I knew right after I watched the introduction, I'm like, that dude's got an alien in him because like his eyes glow for just a split second and he's magically healed from these wounds. So anyway, you decide you decide, hey, alien, get out of my body. And what you do, the alien's like, no, I'm not getting out of your body, blah, blah, blah. And you're just about to go on your final mission to get into a spaceship and go to the, the enemy ship and, and blow them all up Independence Day style. And as you're walking to the hangar, Carter's like, look, man, you got to get out of my body. And he runs into a room and he hooks up a bomb. And he's like, <laughs> he, he says, he says, get out now or I'm going to blow us both up. And at this point... You get a countdown timer. The countdown timer will run out eventually. Or if you press the A button, you can separate from Carter. And uh, what you wind up doing is you wind up picking somebody else's body to inhabit. And whoever you pick, that's who you'll play for the rest of the game. For the last maybe hour and a half or so. That's that's who you'll be. And they're just three other kind of side characters that you've been playing the entire game with. One of them is the CIA director, your boss. One of them's the scientist that you rescued, and then one of them's this uh, this female agent who you've been playing alongside. So the the game has four endings. The first one is you let the countdown expire, 
And when you let the countdown expire, it blows up and it kills you and the alien and then the credits roll. And that's the end of the game. How fucking cool ending. is that? That's a pretty good ending. That's pretty baller. And it's actually the best ending because if you get that one, it means you don't play another hour and a half of the game. <laughs> that is a good ending, actually. Yeah. So there's even a reward. Um, <laughs> this is where things start to get kind of hairy. If you separate, you can pick the person that you're going to play the rest of the game as. Now, it doesn't change the ending in any way. Uh, it just changes who you look like and who the voiceover the pretty much reads the exact same script over each ending is. So what um, you're telling is, you know, if I pick another body and if I pick a black guy, I'm not going to save the world and then go on and do the civil rights movement and then make black people accepted by everyone. There, uh, there are no black people. Uh, in, well, it's accurate then. Yeah, it's the 60s. Um, <laughs> I think there there are, but they're like, they're they're your AI partners. You, there's no main character. Oh wait, no no no! Shit, the pilot. The pilot's black because that's a black people role. So anyway, if you pick one of the other characters, what'll happen is you go onto the spaceship. For some reason, uh, you bring Carter with you, and you you go up into space and you go to the enemy ship. And about midway through going through the ship, you'll get a call on the radio, and they're like, hey, Carter broke out, and he's coming for you. And he'll get on the radio, and he's like, I'm coming to get you. Don't listen to that evil alien in you. It's evil. And uh, eventually, he catches up to you, and you're given the choice. You you, you wind up kind of capturing him, and your two, your two compart- uh, compatriots? Your two compatriots are holding him for you. <laughs> okay. And you have two choices. You can walk away from him and just carry on the game like normal. Or you can just cap him in the head. Either or is, is fine. Um, so this character, this character that you've just played the entire game with, you just you can just shoot him in the head. There's no fanfare. There's nothing. No matter what you choose to do, you never hear from him again ever. That's the end okay. of him in the game. Whether you shoot him or send him back to prison, that's it. Like makes sense. That's their resolution for his arc. Is, is he just disappears? And then when you beat the game, this is my favorite part because it just boggles my mind. Then when you finally beat the game, you beat the big bad alien, you go back and the ending is basically you you reporting to your government superiors. And there's throughout the game, you encounter these people called sleepwalkers. Uh, When the aliens invaded, they these people kind of turned into zombies and they wind up repeating the actions of whatever they were doing last uh, so like if they were getting their oil changed, they'll be waiting in the room, just like looking at their watch every now and then they don't talk. They don't say anything. They're just wondering when their oil is going to get changed. If they were driving a car, you'll find them sometimes even where there'll be a, cra- a crashed car and there's just a guy at the wheel, just like turning the wheel, not doing anything. Um, when the aliens blow up, all these people return to normal. Uh, they, they come back to, to normal, I believe. And then the government kills them all to cover it up. Oh, and- that's lovely. And they cover up the entire invasion. Now, mind you, at this point, like, entire cities have been destroyed. There's a part where you get a call from Detroit, and they're like, if, if you're out there and you hear this, you're it. <laughs> like, there's nothing else. <laughs> and, and somehow the U.S. government goes through and covers everything up. It's pretty amazing. So what do you think? Them. Does that sound pretty good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I just, I just thought I'd share it with you. I guess it's not the most disappointing ending in all of gaming. What would that title go to? I don't know. Well, that might be the most disappointing thing in all of gaming. I have a treat there, and that would be <laughs> the best thing in all of movie making in the <laughs> past hundred years. Since its existence, really. So, okay, are you guys ready for this one? Yeah, lay it on me. All right. Carlito's Way... Rise to Power, not Carlito's Way starring Al Pacino. This is the prequel to Carlito's Way starring Jay Hernandez and with Puffy Combs, or Sean Combs as he's called, P. Diddy, as Hollywood Nikki. And let's see, who else we have for this wonderful cast? Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez is not in this movie, but he should be in this movie. Mario Van Peebles, that's the one I'm thinking of. So you have Mario Van Peebles, you have Sean Combs, all right? Everyone should watch this movie. Carlito's Way, Rise to Power. That, that's that's what you got? <laughs> so so got. basically, you're going to be plugging Carlito's Way and Cookie Clicker until I'm the not going to... No, no. I'm you, not guys, gonna. you guys realize we're not getting paid for any of this shit. <laughs> oh, you're just, you you're just giving out free 
whatever you just gave. At least have the dude who made Cookie Clicker give you a few extra trillion cookies free just for advertising it. Holy shit. I mean, if you're, if you're a fan of video games, you should be playing Cookie Clicker anyway. That's True. like, that's not even a question. Yeah. So, so that's that. That's all I have to say on that one. But Curly's Away, Rise to Power, Mario Van People, <clears throat> Jay Sean right. Collins. That's fine. Wait, we really stuck that landing. <laughs> yeah. We crashed sideways onto the landing strip. So that's pretty much all we have time for anyways. Oddly enough, that hour and 13 minutes blew by really fast. Yeah, that did, but, actually. But, uh, you know, you can go to EnemySlime.com if you found this on Kazaa or LimeWire. Well, so so uh, if a guy, I have to I have to make my, my spiel, if, if a guy sure. walked up to you and he gave you a briefcase and he's like, here, and inside there was a flash drive and it just had this MP3 on it, then that would be the appropriate time to go to enemyslime.com. That person was me. I know you're out there. <laughs> so, you know, go check out our website. It's pretty good. Two billion, can, by the way. Yeah. Two billion, Two billion what? Two billion cookies. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you can talk to us at contact at enemyslime.com that'll send all of us an email so if you want to send hate mail because Jay won't shut the fuck up about cookie clicker you can do that or if, or if you're just mad because Jason under, doesn't understand the finer points of Beer Moon <laughs> yeah. we have yeah. to we have to eventually have enough negative reviews on the site to get some fucking hate mail what does it take to get some hate mail Halo sucks I do have I do have one thing to mention um, I noticed that I set up some of the distro lists wrong, so if you did try to email us, you might have gotten a kickback. It's fixed now, and if you didn't try, you could still send me some hate mail because I didn't set them up right. So there's something. Yeah. And but, again, Halo sucks, so send me all of your hatred. Yeah, Halo's uh, terrible. Hey, hey, did you hear the thing about that Halo guy who went and did the thing, and he was like, Hideo Kojima, you can't be like this, and that was the whole thing? No. <laughs> For the for the sake of brevity, no. <laughs> I didn't hear about that at all. Goodbye. Okay. We're out. All right. <laughs>